Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Logan's Logic. Today is a very special one for multiple reasons. First and foremost, you might be watching this on YouTube, which is really, really fucking cool. And I've been wanting to do this for a really long time, and I just didn't really think that I'd be able to. I don't know, I just really didn't, I just thought this was like a super fancy thing that you only do if you're like famous, but it doesn't have to be that way, so I'm doing it, and I'm really, really excited to be doing it this way. My hope is that every podcast episode going forward will be also filmed free to watch on YouTube. I don't know if that's going to be the case because sometimes maybe I'll have to record in a place that isn't my house. But my hope is that pretty much every time I'll also be able to film this for you guys so that you can actually watch it. And even if you just listen to it, it just is fun for me to do, at least for now. This is the first time that I'm doing this, so bear with me. I've had some technical difficulties. This is my second time recording this, but that's okay because it's working out great this time. Fingers crossed. This all works out great. And when I watch it back, I'm satisfied and there's no technical difficulties. So besides the fact that I'm actually filming this episode, this episode is also special because it's one that I've been wanting to film for a really, really long time or just record in general for a really, really long time. And that is my entire journey with mental illness, diagnosis, medication, therapy, the things that I first started showing symptoms of, um, how they played into my life what my later diagnoses were. Obviously, now I'm in a place where I'm lucky enough to have a diagnosis that is correct, have access to doctors and medications and just things to help myself. But that wasn't always the case. Or if it was the case and I did have access to those things, I was denying myself of that for many different reasons. So that's basically what I'm going to get into today. But First of all, if I sound a little scraggly, I'm sorry, I'm getting over a cold. Ignore that. But I decided last episode, my last episode was a Q&A. And my best friend gave me the really great idea to answer one question in the beginning of every episode from now on. And that's something I'm really excited to do. So I saved a few questions from my Q&A that I didn't answer because I wanted to answer them in later episodes. And I'm going to continue putting question boxes on my Instagram story to get more questions, or you could leave them in the comments, or you can email my podcast email. But I'm going to keep getting questions, new questions, but I've been saving a few. And this first question, now sometimes they're going to be random questions that don't correlate with the episode at all. They're just going to be a random question, but it just so happens that this question I have today, I feel like does kind of correlate with today's episode. So I kind of wanted to save it for this episode in specific. So the question for today is, as someone with BPD, are you aware of how capable you are to help others with BPD? And I think that this is a really interesting question because the answer is yes, but I also kind of try to like ignore that. And what I mean by that is like, I feel so lucky that I don't want to say I'm on the other side because if you have BPD or any mental illness, you know that I always kind of describe it like asthma. I have asthma. I've had it since I was a baby. And when I was a kid, like a younger kid, it used to be a lot more prevalent and affect me a lot worse. And now 
it's really not something that I struggle with. And I remember my mom asking my doctor at the time that I would see for my asthma in specific, you know, don't you grow out of it? And he was like, you can grow up to have it affect you less, but you never grow out of it. Like, that's a myth. When people say that you have asthma as a kid and then you grow out of it the older that you get, that's a myth. That's not true. If you have asthma once, you always have asthma. It just might affect you less as you grow up. So I always like to describe it as it's the same as asthma, BPD and any mental illness. You know, if you have it once, you might find ways to make your life better and cope with it in better ways, which is amazing. And I do recognize how privileged I am to have been able to do that and continue to do that. And I am so grateful for that every single day. But I will always have BPD. I'll always have anxiety. I'll always have ADHD. I'll always have the trauma that gave me BPD. I'll always have all of these things. So even though I've been lucky enough to work on myself and grow and I continue to grow every day, it will always be something that I struggle with. And so I feel very privileged to have experienced being in like the throes of it and the really bad side of the coin of mental illness and BPD and being in a place where I felt like my mental illness controlled my life. And now I'm lucky enough to be in a place where I feel like I control my mental illness. So I feel like given the fact that I've experienced both sides of the coin, it does make me feel like I have a lot more wisdom and advice to share. Because not only do I have advice on dealing with it when you're really in the throes of it, but also dealing with it when you're trying to kind of get out of that bad place and move forward and continue to work on it every day. So given those things, I do definitely recognize that I do have a lot of knowledge and wisdom and logic to share, but I also really try to like not let my ego run away with that because I definitely do have a tendency to... I don't want to say get on a high horse because I don't ever feel like I'm that way or that person, but I definitely do have a tendency to kind of feel a little controlling, I guess, in a way. I definitely have control issues, but they're more so less control issues trying to control people and more so control issues controlling my own life. But I do feel like I have the tendency to look at the people in my life who might be struggling with mental illness and be like, well, you can do all these things because I did and whatever. And like, yes, that can be great to give advice and give help. But sometimes people don't always want advice. They don't always want solutions. They just want comfort and they just want someone to tell them it's going to be okay. And I feel like I tend to be a very solution-based person at times, especially when we're talking about mental health. So I feel like I've had to take a step back and be like, okay, but like, yes, yes, you can recommend things and give advice, but at the end of the day, you can't push that lifestyle onto someone else. So I feel like, yes, I am aware of how capable I am to help, but I also try to not necessarily be less aware, but not let that get it get away from me or like get in the way of my relationships with people, I guess, or the way that I could comfort people. So now getting into today's topic, I'm going to try to do this as fast as possible. The first time I filmed this, it was like an hour long episode and I'm sure this is going to be a longer episode, but I'm going to try to not over explain 
things that I've already explained. And if I'm looking down, it's because I literally have an entire notebook, like three pages worth filled out with a timeline because it was really hard to like go back and like really create like a cohesive timeline, like going in order, chronological order of my ages and everything. So feel pretty solid with the timeline, but if I'm looking down, it's because I have to keep making sure that I'm not missing things or skipping over things. So we are going to start with the earliest that I can remember. And the earliest that I can remember is I started having severe symptoms of anxiety, anxiety attacks, panic attacks around five years old. And this was for many different reasons. I had things going on in my life, traumatic experiences that I was experiencing at the time. Obviously, I did not understand that because I was five years old and I was not really self-aware of the things that were going on around me because I was five years old. And, you know, having this anxiety and these intense feelings, I did not know what they were or what they meant because, again, I was five years old. I didn't even know the word anxiety. I didn't know that that was a thing. I had no idea as a five-year-old would. And that, you know, to me says a lot. And sometimes I feel like I get a little hard on myself and I'm like, well, I should have known because I've been a child body with an adult brain for as long as I can remember. I've, and you know, that's a combination of things. One, I did have to grow up fast given certain circumstances in my life, but also two, that's just my personality. I've always been an old soul. I've always been too wise beyond my years, but also, like I said, the trauma and the things that were going on in my life factor into that and force me to grow older at a young age. And so at the time, I did also have, along with my anxiety, my general anxiety for different reasons, I also had separation anxiety from my mom because my mom was really my only active parent in my life and the only one who really showed me love in a way that really mattered. And I, it's, it's, I know it's very like, very out there to say that, but it's the truth. And I've really tried to like find different ways to say it, but that's the way that I could say it. And it's like, why am I going to lie when that's how it really was? So given that, that she was my only parent that gave me any sense of comfort and love and home, I had separation anxiety from her, but that was obviously that factors into the anxiety. But like I said, I had other things going on in my life that were bringing these anxiety attacks and panic attacks on. And at the time, I just thought it was because I missed my mom because I didn't understand why I would be so upset about anything else. And, you know, to this day, which I'll get into at the end of the episode, because I'm kind of going to do like a recap with my now point of view of all of these things. But I just didn't understand. And I didn't know what was happening. I thought I just missed my mom. And now looking back on it, like I said, with this point of view, I do always feel like, yes, having BPD, you know, borderline personality disorder gets its name borderline because it's borderline a little bit of everything. There, It's literally a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of depression, a little bit of anxiety. It's kind of bipolar, but it's not bipolar. And it's kind of narcissistic tendencies, but it's not narcissism. And it's it's all of these things combined into one mental illness. And so given that anxiety is a part 
of borderline personality disorder, but I have always felt like, obviously, there was a long period of my life, 15 years, where I did not know I had borderline personality disorder. But I have always felt like my anxiety was a separate entity from anything else I had going on. So obviously, like I said, it's definitely very easy for me to say that having the perspective and kind of sense of understanding and self-awareness that I have now. But even since I was a kid, it was just always very prevalent to me that this feeling, which ended up being anxiety, was a whole problem within itself, even if you took away all of the other factors in my life. It was the first thing that was ever prevalent. It was the first thing I ever dealt with symptoms of. It was the first thing that made me be like, there's something wrong with me. So moving on to six years old, when I was around six years old, I went into therapy for the very first time. And my first therapist was a great therapist. And my mom actually still sees her sometimes and has therapy sessions with her. She's a very great woman. Um, she's great. She's a great therapist. But given the fact that I was six years old and I just didn't understand what was going on, really, I did not use that therapy in a productive way. And I would go, and obviously she had games for younger kids to kind of engage them, whatever. And I would literally just go only to play the games and see her very cute dog. That was it. I would, that was the only reason that I would go. And I just could not engage in deep conversation that I was really there for. And I think that the whole reason I was in therapy was a combination of things. One, my parents got divorced when I was just about to turn two years old. So I have zero recollection of them ever being together in a romantic way, and which is amazing. And, and I love that they did that, uh, which is a whole different episode. I want to make a whole episode about divorce parents. But given the fact that my parents were divorced and also given the fact that I had started experiencing these weird things and these weird episodes where I'd cry about missing my mom and I was having obvious separation anxiety, my mom decided to put me in therapy for the first time when I was six years old. And like I said, I really could not access that part of me that you are supposed to work on in therapy. You know, obviously there's not really a point of going to therapy if you can't access what you need to access in order to unpack things and let therapy be therapeutic and do its job. And at that time, I just was not capable of that, both given the fact that I was six years old and also given the fact that I was actively being traumatized and I did not know. And I just did not have it in me. And also something that I believe plays a huge factor in me not being able to open up to that therapist at that time was the fact that one side of my family was super pro-therapy, pro-medication. You got to do what you got to do to help yourself. Self-care is a huge thing. And then the other side of my family was super like, we don't see shrinks. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, you don't take medicine. Smoke some weed. You'll be fine. Smoke some weed. Do some meditation. You'll be fine. You don't need a shrink. You don't need pharmaceutical meds. They're just trying to make money off of you, whatever, whatever. And so given the fact that I was six years old, could not access those parts of me that I needed to access in order for therapy to do its job, and also had my family split, and half of them was were so supportive, and the other half was so 
just like dehumanizing about it and just so just making me feel so guilty. It was really hard for me to understand what I was supposed to do there. And I just remember, like I said, I've always been too self-aware for my own good. I've always been too wise beyond my years for my own good. And I just remember at one point looking at that therapist and being like, am I here because my parents are divorced? (laughs) And she was like, I don't even remember what she said. I think she was like, I mean, I think that's part of it. Like, she's just very, like, like I said, she was a great therapist. Uh, She, it was nothing about her. It was just at the time in my life, it just wasn't going to happen at that point in my life for me, no matter who the therapist was. And at some point, she was kind of telling my mom certain things that I was saying, which part of me understands that. You know, I was six years old. Usually you don't start therapy as young as six years old. So I understand why she would kind of tell my mom certain things. But at the same time, you're really not supposed to do that. I don't know the laws and the rules given the fact that I was six years old. But all I do know is my personal experience and my feelings towards it. And my feelings towards it were betrayal. And any sort of trust that I was building up with this therapist, any closer that I might have been getting to opening up as much as I could at that point in my life was squashed. Because immediately I was like, okay, well, I already didn't want to talk to you, so now any chance of me actually talking to you is fucked because you just tattletailed on me. (laughs) So now we are going to fast forward to age nine, and this is when I feel like I started showing the most obvious symptoms of borderline personality disorder for the first time. And I'm sure that there were definitely little things throughout my earlier childhood that maybe suggested certain things. But to me, this is the first age where I really, you know, I look back on it and I'm like, God damn, she definitely had borderline. Um, And that is age nine, like I said. And at age nine, I started experiencing severe, severe, terrifying rage. This anger that I felt was so visceral and deep-rooted and terrifying to me and anyone around me, especially given the fact that I was nine years old. And this was, again, for a number of reasons, and I I feel like I'm going to say this a lot throughout the episode, and, you know, there are certain things that I try to be as open as I possibly can on this podcast. That's the whole point of it, but there are certain things that I don't feel comfortable going into depth with, at least right now at this point in my life. Definitely later in life, I do plan on being super more open about things, but there are certain things that I just can't share the exact details of for my own good because they're really fucked up. And so I started experiencing this rage, and this was for multiple reasons. Um, This was, again, I've had lots of trauma in my childhood. And for a little backstory, if you don't know exactly how borderline personality disorder develops, it is not a chemical imbalance that you can see on a test. Rather, it is a trauma response. So someone with borderline personality disorder, the way that you get borderline personality disorder is if you are so deeply traumatized as a child, 
your brain creates a defense mechanism against it. You know, it's, again, a metaphor that I like to kind of use or an analogy that I like to kind of use to summarize it for someone who doesn't have it and doesn't necessarily have family members, someone close to them that has it is, you know, if you get a really, really bad injury, painful injury, you will faint. You'll pass out on the spot because your brain is protecting you from feeling the extent of that injury because you cannot handle it physically. You can't handle all of that pain. You can't handle all of that pain rushing in at once. So your brain shuts down so that you don't have to feel it because it's protecting you. It's a defense mechanism. And that is essentially what borderline personality disorder is. It's a defense mechanism. And it is a way of thinking and behaving that your brain develops when you have been so deeply traumatized as a child because everything stems from your childhood. It you you know, you have to understand that like when you're a child, your brain is forming. Any single thing you see, hear, is told to you, is done to you, your brain takes that very seriously because your brain is still forming. Any little thing that happens in your life affects how your brain is developing for the rest of your life. So understand the extent of that and then understand why my life has looked how it's looked thus far. And so started experiencing extreme rage at nine years old. And again, multiple reasons. One, my pent up trauma. And also two, again, one parent was very angry. Um, not just parent, I guess that one side of my family. But the thing is, there's this quote that I think about too often because it has, it ruins me every time I see it. But the quote is, if you grow up with an angry man in your house, there will always be an angry man in your house. Meaning that if you grow up with an angry man in your physical home, there'll always be an angry man in your house, in your brain. And I really understand that because like I said, when you are a child, your brain is forming. Anything that is said, done to you, to someone else that you witness, whatever, your brain takes very seriously because it is still forming. And therefore, if you grow up with a parent who is very angry and very spiteful, you, more times than not, will develop those characteristics or be terrified of those characteristics. And it just so happens that in my case, I developed those characteristics because the parent who was angry was also the parent who I felt neglected by. So in my nine-year-old brain, I was like, okay, well, if I act more like this parent and express the same struggles as this parent has had in their childhood, this could be a bonding point for us. If this person looks at me and sees themselves as a child in me, this can be a bonding point. They'll understand me. They're going to understand how I'm feeling, how I'm thinking. We'll have deep conversations. We will bond over this. They will comfort me over this. And so not only was that happening subconsciously, like I said, now I can look back and recognize that, but at the time that wasn't even thought in my mind. That was happening subconsciously, but also First of all, I was going, I was starting to go through the throes of puberty. I started experiencing puberty early. That also doesn't help. There was just a lot of factors that went into it. But like I said, this was the first time I really started exhibiting 
extremely obvious symptoms of borderline personality disorder because one of the most obvious symptoms of borderline personality disorder is the rage. So now fast forward to a year later, 10 years old. This was the first time that I started experiencing symptoms of depression and suicide ideation or suicidal thoughts and feelings. And this was really like the turning point in my life, meaning this is when the people in my life started to be more alert of my abnormal behavior and feelings. And this was really like the make or break of it all. And it definitely did not go in a very productive way. But at the same time, I can't really blame many people, you know, for like Years and years and years of my life, I held a lot of resentment towards my mom, specifically for this period of my life and the things that I'm about to tell you and all the courses of action that were taken from this point forward. I held so much resentment for it. And luckily, through a lot of hard work within the past few years, I've been able to really let go of that. And I really don't feel resentment anymore because I'm finally in a place in my life where it's like everything happens for a reason and I would not be the person I am today if those things had not happened. But at the time and for the following years, it really haunted me. And so 10 years old, this is when, like I said, I started experiencing severe symptoms of suicidal thoughts, suicide ideation, depression. And there is a TV show called 13 Reasons Why. This show had just come out at the time, and it's done now. Like, the show is completed. It has been for a few years, but it had just come out at the time, the first season on Netflix, and I watched it. And there was some very graphic scenes. If you don't know, it's a show about a girl who kills herself, and she leaves 13 tapes behind explaining the 13 reasons the 13 things that that led her to commit suicide and it's a teenage girl in high school and all of these people are listening to these tapes and you're figuring out why she killed herself and there was a very explicit scene of her killing herself that has since been removed but since I watched it immediately after it came out I saw it and I was very immune to like gory things like I really don't think that this scene of the suicide was what made me have a certain realization because I had been immune to so many gory things. I've been seeing gory movies since I was way too young to be seeing gory movies. But throughout watching this, just this one season of this show, I started really identifying with this girl in the show who killed herself because you're watching her life. It's like a prequel almost to what led her to do this. And you're watching it as she's explaining on the tapes that she left why she did what she did. And I started really identifying and resonating with these certain things that she was feeling, these certain emotions that she was experiencing. And I luckily decided to go to school one day and I said to someone in my class something suggestive of, you know, me being dead. Don't remember exactly what I said, but something, you know, along the lines of like, well, how would you feel if I was dead or something like that? I don't know. But I went home and told my mom immediately. Right after I told my mom, her phone rang. It was my teacher being like, we got a call from a parent that your child said this to this kid, whatever, which good on them. 
good on them for telling the teacher as they should. But at the same time, I had already told my mom. And this really just sparked like a panic. And my parents obviously were notified. And a few days later, the school sent out a letter basically telling the parents that there was a show that just came out that is extremely explicit, talking about suicide, and that they should be really careful of their kids watching it because kids had been watching it and it had been putting ideas in children's heads that they wanted to die just because they were seeing someone else do it. And this really fucked me up because I had had the courage at 10 years old to be like, I am feeling this way and I am finally understanding why I have felt this way and I'm resonating with these feelings. And it was immediately invalidated by like, well, you're a kid, so you're you're watching somebody else do it. So obviously it's going to put it in your head that you want to do it too. And I'm not invalidating that. That is totally can be real. Like, and not even if you're just a kid, like watching that, if you're not in the best headspace or you are a kid, yes, it could totally put those ideas in your head and you should be very responsible about watching that show or shows like that. But in my case, it was not putting ideas in my head. It was explaining to me these things that I felt and it was just immediately shut down and invalidated. And I will die on the hill that that show saved my life. That show absolutely saved my life. And I did continue to watch it like years later as the seasons came out. And a few months ago, I was like, I really want to rewatch this and see what I take from it now, being older and being in a good place. And it's one of my favorite shows ever. Just rewatching it at my age now was so cathartic because it was like a part of me felt like I was healing my inner child, but also it's just like I get even more out of the show now being older and having so much more life experience. Obviously, it's been seven years. I watched it when I was 10. I'm 17. So it it was really interesting to watch now. And it's still one of my favorite shows ever. But it was so disappointing for that to happen because I completely understand why they sent that letter out and as they should. But it was so invalidating to me, my feelings, and my bravery for being able to stand up and being like, yo, this is how I'm feeling to my parents, especially given the fact that, like I said, one of them was so like, don't see a fucking shrink, whatever. Like, it took so much courage for me to say that just for it to be shut down and invalidated. And not just shut down and validated, shut down and validated by a bunch of adults. I'm a 10-year-old kid. Adults rule the world in my head. You know what I mean? Like, what they say goes. And everybody was saying that... I was just getting these ideas from this show and it wasn't actually how I felt. So that's what I kind of had to go along with because what other say did I have as a 10-year-old kid against school and principals and teachers and parents and so on and so forth. Before I go into like the next kind of topic and era of my life, I do just want to say before I move on from the whole 13 reasons why Logan lore of it all that you absolutely should be insanely responsible watching shows like that. You know, 13 Reasons Why I said is one of my favorite shows, so is Euphoria. And they're amazing shows, but they are very raw, sensitive shows. And, you know, there was times watching Euphoria and 13 Reasons Why where I had to take a pause and take a breath and finish the rest of the episode the next day. Like, 
that is completely okay. Do not force yourself to watch something that is making you feel uncomfortable or is just a lot to take in. One of my favorite movies of all times is Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. It's just, it's the most incredible, heartbreaking movie in the entire world. I can rant about that movie for an entire episode, but there are times where I watch it, given the, even though it's one of my favorite movies and I've seen it a bunch of times, there's times where I watch it on certain days where I'm like, yo, I, I can't finish this right now. Like, I, I'll come back to it another day. Because things like that are very hard to digest, even if you've seen them before. So just be so insanely responsible watching sensitive content like that. So now moving on, after this whole kind of scare and wake-up call for my family... My mom took me to a neurologist to kind of figure out what was happening because also I've always had issues in school as far as focusing goes. I've always been like the class clown and all of my report cards have always been like, she's very polite. She's very, she's a great kid, but she just cannot focus or stop talking and making jokes to everyone, which is true. Still range true. So all of these things combined, my mom took me to a neurologist and this neurologist led to tests. And I remember one morning I had to wake up early. I couldn't eat or drink anything in the morning because I was getting blood worked on. So I had to fast. And I went to the hospital near me. I got blood worked on. They took a few vials of blood because they were testing my blood for multiple different things. So they needed a good amount of it. Then I got an EKG. So they connected things to like my chest and my body to track my heart. And then I got things connected to my head, like my scalp to track my brain waves. And this experience was really traumatizing, and it was something that, again, I held a lot of resentment for for many, many years against my mom. And again, I was already experiencing extreme visceral rage, so this just really added more fuel to the fire. It gave me more things to be angry about. And so after all that was said and got said and done and all those tests were done, I got diagnosed with ADHD slash ADD anxiety and depression. And obviously there were anger issues. It didn't take a test to tell everybody that I did have anger issues and I was struggling with some level of anger. And this was, I felt very indifferent to these diagnoses. You know, it was like, okay, I have trouble focusing. I'm always fucking worried and I want to die sometimes. Tell me something I don't know. Like I just felt very indifferent to these diagnoses. It's it wasn't like, "Oh my god, that's what's wrong with me." And something clicked like, "No, like I was just like, okay, I I knew that. You didn't have to take me to a hospital and traumatize me and do all these tests on me to tell me these things. Like I could have told you that myself." So, given that, I was prescribed medication. I don't remember what the medication was, but I do know that I refused to take it. Again, this was mainly because, one, I had a family that was super split. One side of my family was super supportive. The other side was so unsupportive of it. And therefore, this gave me a really hard perspective on this whole medication thing. And also, keep in mind, one side of my family that was not supportive, I did not have a connection with. So I was like, okay, well, if I go against them and do this thing that my other side of my family is telling me, then I'm really never going to have any shot at a connection with them. So obviously, 
refused to take it. And also, I was 10 years old. I did not know what these medications were or they meant. I had no idea how they would affect me. So even though the reasons that I wasn't taking them were pretty fucking shitty, I am happy that I didn't take them because I don't know what they would have done to me, especially considering now knowing I have BPD and therefore those medications probably would not have mixed well with my 10-year-old brain at the time. So again, moving forward through the years, continued to refuse medication, was in and out of therapy a bit. There was this one therapist I saw when I want to say I was like 11. No, I don't think I was 12. I was definitely 11. And or maybe even later in the year when I was 10, I'm not sure, but definitely no older than 11. And I saw this therapist maybe two times and immediately stopped. She was the worst fucking therapist in the world, and I do not feel bad about saying that at all. She operated out of her house. It was this old woman. She literally just cleaned up her dog shit because her dogs were always shitting on the floor the entire time. The first time I saw her, she gave me a CD that she made of like meditation shit and was like, listen to this. You'll be fine. Was so bad. I saw her two times, maybe three times fucking never went back again and thank god I didn't I feel I do not feel bad about saying that she was a horrible fucking therapist maybe she wasn't a horrible therapist to other people but she was a fucking horrible therapist to me so again another bad therapy experience tainting my view yet again of therapy and medication as a whole so now we move forward to about age 14 and age 14 I saw two therapists within that year. One of them, they were both great therapists. One of them was still uh, a younger woman. She was kind of still in school. She was only at the office for a few months. So I saw her for a few months. She was a very sweet woman, great therapist. Um, Saw her for a few months. She left, uh, started seeing another therapist who operated out of that same practice. Also a great therapist, very sweet woman. But I was not opening up in a real way. I was opening up as much as I could at that time, really. Um, But I was having these thoughts and feelings that were very deep and severe. And I thought that if I opened up about them, they were just going to send me to a mental hospital. So I opened up as much as I could at that time, but not in a way that was, that would have been helpful to me mentally. And so eventually I was seeing a psychiatrist who was prescribing me a few things, maybe for anxiety, for my ADHD. I was on and off ADHD meds. I felt like nothing was working. I did not want to take anything that was a stimulant because I have addiction that runs heavily in both sides of my family. So I was like, if I'm going to take something, it can't be a stimulant because I was so terrified of it. And that's a whole different episode I want to make about being terrified of drugs at a young age and my whole journey with addicts in my family and addiction and learning about it at a young age. And That's a whole other episode I want to make, but I was still struggling a lot with the whole medication thing, and I wasn't really opening up in a way that would have been beneficial to me, but I was doing my best at the time. And so, 14 years old, started gaining an interest in psychology. One, because I just find it very fascinating and interesting, but also two, because I had some people in my family, specifically one of my parents, who seemed to have many issues that were deep-rooted and unresolved and undiagnosed. And I began learning about psychology as much as I can in an attempt to understand this person better and understand why they couldn't treat me the way that a parent should treat their child. And so I started learning more and more and I started learning about borderline personality disorder. 
And I learned about this disorder. I learned as much as I possibly could about it. And I was like, oh my God, this is what this person has. It fits perfectly. This is what they have. Months go by, months, months, months go by. At this point, I'm 15 years old. And one day, I wasn't even specifically looking at psych, psych, like I, I wasn't learning about things at the time. It wasn't like I was in the midst of writing my notes that I would write and was like, oh my God. I was literally sitting in bed doing something completely random. I think I was just on my phone. And I remember it was the morning and I just woken up and I remember all of a sudden sitting up and being like, oh my God, I think I have borderline personality disorder. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like, this is what's wrong with me. Oh my God. And everything, like, it literally felt like my entire life flashed before my eyes. And all of these things that I have told you about leading up to this point replayed in my head and it all started to make complete sense. And I was like, holy fuck, this is what's wrong with me. And it was a mixture of extreme excitement and extreme despair because it was like, oh my God, this is what's wrong with me. Now I could tell everybody and get the, the treatment that I actually need and I can get better and I can fix this. And then the other part of me was like, oh my God, I have borderline personality disorder. Like, oh my God, I have borderline personality disorder. Like it was terrifying, but it was also so relieving because part of me was like, I know what's wrong with me and now I can start to learn how to make it better. And then the other part of me was like, that's fucking terrifying. How do I have this thing? So with this newfound realization, I had to go to everyone in my life, meaning any medical professional in my life at the time being my school counselor and my psychiatrist, because I, at the time, I wasn't seeing a therapist anymore, and basically be like, hey, so guess what? I've been lying about my feelings this entire time because I thought that if I really told you what I was feeling and thinking, you'd throw me in a mental hospital and I didn't want that to happen. But guess what? I actually just figured out that there actually is a name for all of these crazy emotions and feelings that I'm experiencing and it's called borderline personality disorder. So I think I have borderline personality disorder. Doesn't that make sense? (laughs) And my school counselor at the time who I had built up a really good trust and rapport with looked at me and she was like, you don't have borderline personality disorder. And I just was like, oh. And when I say, oh, I did not mean that that changed my mind. I still deep down was like, no, I know this is what I have. I've learned everything there is to learn about this disorder. This is what I have. This is what's wrong with me, in quotations, wrong with me. And so when I said, oh, I wasn't saying, oh, is in like, oh, like, yeah, I guess you're right. I guess I don't have this. I was like, oh, is in like, I can't fucking talk to you anymore. Fuck you. I don't trust you anymore. You don't know me. And because uh, again, there's that borderline personality disorder, black and white thinking. And so I went to my psychiatrist at the time, the psychiatrist and I kind of had a little tension between us. I wasn't a huge fan of hers. I felt like she wasn't a huge fan of mine. I had just been very flaky with her as far as medication went because anytime we tried a ADHD medication, which was the medications that I was kind of trialing at the time, I was just super flaky with it. I was just very flaky with her in general. And she looked at me and I, I was like, listen, like, I know you're probably not going to believe this because nobody fucking does, but I think I have borderline personality disorder and I've learned everything there is to learn and blah, blah, blah. And she looked at me and she was like, you know, actually, I was going to bring that up to you. I was, I was thinking the same thing. And I was like, really? 
I was so relieved and I felt so more validated than I had ever felt in my entire life because finally I had found this thing, this name for this thing that had actually clicked with me. And this one person finally believed me and agreed with me. And from there, that was all I needed. I ran to my mom and I was like, she thinks that I have it. I told you, I told you, like, I know that I have this. And from there, I switched psychiatrists and I started seeing my now therapist and I've been seeing her for like over a year and a half coming up on two years now. And she is a DBT therapist, which if you don't know what DBT is, it's dialect, dialect, dialectal, dialect, dialect, I think, behavioral therapy. I might not be saying that right, but it is the type of therapy that is used for borderline personality disorder patients. And so I started seeing her and I basically explained to her everything and how I thought I had. And she was like, all right. And so as she continued talking to me, she was like, I definitely agree. And my psychiatrist, so I had been diagnosed by my old psychiatrist and my therapist with borderline personality disorder. And from there, I started to learn not only about borderline personality disorder because I had learned so much about it already, but how my borderline personality disorder affected me in my life because it is not just a textbook thing. It affects every single person differently. So for the first time, I wasn't just learning about the disorder to learn about it and figure out why certain people in my life were acting a certain way. I was learning about it to help myself and learn how it was affecting me and presenting in my life. And like I said, everything fell into place. It's like my whole life flashed before my eyes and everything that I just told you replayed in my head and it all started to make sense. So to wrap this all up and give a little final synopsis, my diagnosis now at this point in my life where I am lucky enough to have a great understanding of my brain is anxiety, borderline personality disorder, and ADHD slash ADD. Like I said, my anxiety has always been an entirely separate entity within itself. It was the first thing I ever experienced symptoms of. It was the first thing that ever presented itself in my life. And while anxiety is a part of borderline personality disorder, my anxiety affects me in a severe, separate way. And these diagnoses make so much sense. And I've been lucky enough, like I said, and I continue to say, to start to learn about them, about how they presented me, how they affect me, and how to manage them in a way that makes me the best me that I could ever be. And the medications that I take currently are, I am on 150 milligrams of Lamictal, which is a mood stabilizer, and I am on 15 milligrams of Lexapro for my anxiety, and I periodically take Adderall as needed for my ADHD. And I would have never imagined that I would be, first of all, taking medicine at all, but second of all, being on Adderall, a stimulant for my anxiety, but I'm really proud of myself for the way that I've been able to manage that and do it periodically. And again, this is something to be so careful about. And just because I have borderline personality disorder and I take Lamictal as a mood stabilizer does not mean that that's going to work for you if you have borderline personality disorder. It is so different for everyone else, but these are the medications that have helped me tremendously. So I feel like I want to share them with you and be as open as I can, like I always say. I go to therapy sometimes once a week, sometimes once every other week, sometimes only a couple times a month. I really take it day by day as it comes. Um, sometimes I'm in a place where I need therapy once a week. Sometimes I'm in a place where 
I need it every few weeks. So I, like I said, I just really take it as it comes, which is a huge privilege. And I do understand that fully. So yeah, that is basically a whole synopsis of most of my life. Like I said, there are some things that are a little too deep and dark that I'm not ready to talk about right now. There are certain things that just I don't want to speak about right now. But for the most part, that is really my life so far in terms of mental health and mental illness and everything that has led me here. And I always say this, but whilst a lot of these things were traumatic and really hard to experience at the time, they have made me the person that I am today. And I regret absolutely nothing because everything happens for a reason. And even the fucking pants that I put on today played some sort of part in my day-to-day. That's just the type of person that I am. That's what I believe. It's not what you have to believe, but it's what I believe. And no matter how many traumatic things I've been through in my life, I know this might be a controversial opinion, but I'll never wish that I didn't go through them because I would not be the Logan that I am today. And the Logan that I am today is pretty fucking awesome. So So I'm going to stop talking now because I could continue going, but I'm really happy that I was able to, first of all, film this episode actually. And second of all, just record this episode in general in terms of what the topic is. I've been wanting to do this for a while. This was originally going to be the first ever episode of Logan's Logic, which is really cool to think about. But obviously, this was not the first episode. It ended up being feeling everything deeply. But I've been really excited to do this one. And I'm really happy I finally got to do it and film it. So I will see you soon, hopefully, if you're watching this. And regardless, if you're just listening, we'll talk soon.